You're listening to the Baseball Prospect Journal Podcast. Here is your host, Dan Zielinski. Welcome back to the Baseball Prospect Journal Podcast. I'm Dan Zielinski, founder and national writer at BaseballProspectJournal.com. I have another exciting episode for you all today, but before we get into that, you can find all of my draft content and all of our team's work at BaseballProspectJournal.com. You can also find me on Twitter at DanZielinski3. You can also find the Baseball Prospect Journal on Twitter at the BP Journal. Today's podcast is a little different from previous episodes. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about financial wealth and managing that and how to go about selecting a financial advisor. MLB draft prospects, when they're selected, either typically sign for multi-million dollar signing bonuses or they get a contract with hundreds of thousands of dollars for a signing bonus. And once they get that money, it's important to manage it properly. Obviously, there's some guys who that's really all the money they make in their baseball career is from that signing bonus. Now, some go on to have successful major league careers and have that longevity to earn another contract and earn more money but that's not always the case so managing money from the start and managing it properly is important and joining me on today's podcast is former major league pitcher and former first round pick jacob turner who was selected ninth overall in the 2009 mlb draft by the detroit tigers he signed for a 5.5 million dollar signing bonus his final year of professional baseball came in 2019 when he played overseas and since then he's been a financial advisor he started his own wealth management firm he's still a young guy he's a great guy to begin with and really just has a lot of knowledge on this topic of financial advising and money management. And I think also offers a unique perspective because of his background. He was a guy selected out of high school at 18 years old, signed for multi-millions of dollars when it comes to signing bonus, and then also made it to the major leagues, experienced mixed results along the way. But I think offers a unique perspective when working with these draft prospects and being able to give his own experiences and advice of playing career and managing money to just really help a player and be an asset when it comes to a financial advisor and understanding what these guys go through as draft prospects. So I really enjoyed my conversation with Jacob. I thought it's been one of the better conversations we've had on this podcast. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Jacob Turner. Joining me now on the Baseball Prospect Journal podcast is former MLB pitcher and co-founder of JL Strategic Wealth, Jacob Turner. Jacob, thanks for coming on. It's great to talk with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. People probably know you as a guy who was drafted by Detroit Tigers in the first round of the MLB draft, and then also a guy who pitched at the major league level. But obviously now you've retired post-playing career. Just take listeners, fans through kind of what you've been up to since they last saw you on a mound. Yeah, so I played, like you mentioned, I played baseball from 2009 to 2019. My last year playing, I played in South Korea. After that, I transitioned out of baseball and really focused on personal finance. I've always loved personal finance. So in 2021, I started a wealth management firm that is focused around helping people navigate sudden wealth. 
So the majority of the clients that we work with today are athletes and entrepreneurs. An athlete is relatively self-explanatory. They're signing a big contract, but they don't know what the next couple of years of their life might look like. An entrepreneur is much the same way. They might be exiting a business and they're getting their big payout, but they don't know what the future holds for them. What kind of motivated you? Why did you want to go down this route? Well, I've always loved, I call it how the world works, but I've always loved understanding how people make money, how businesses start and make money and hire employees. So that part has always been ingrained in me, even when I was playing baseball. And then the personal finance side really came into play when I first got drafted. So I was 18 years old. I was blessed to sign for a lot of money when I first signed. And I wanted to make sure that I was being a good steward of that money. So I put it as my mission to better educate myself around what I should be doing. Those were things like reading books and questions I should be asking to the advisors that I had on my team. And when I got done, I really wanted to try to pour some of that same knowledge into the next generation of athletes. You were a Scott Boris client, right? Correct. Did he have, or did you hire separately kind of a financial advisor? You were I want to say ninth overall pick, $5.5 million signing bonus. So for an 18-year-old, all of a sudden you end up with this huge kind of amount of wealth. What was that process like for you when you were an 18-year-old? Yeah, it started with, I had a good family dynamic situation around me. My mom has a background in accounting, so understands numbers very well. The Boris Corporation was really helpful. They had some great resources and people that I was able to lean on when I first signed as well. And then I ended up hiring a financial advisor that was separate from the Boris Corporation just to give myself a little bit of distance between the people that were handling my on the field and the people that were handling my off the field. And I felt like that, that served me well for the majority of my career. I guess when it comes to baseball, like I know a former NHL player and his dad was just kind of his financial advisor because he had that background. But I guess when it comes to baseball players, how many do you think actually have a financial advisor? That's a great question. I don't know what the percentage is. I do know that a lot of the top guys now in the draft, first round picks, second round picks are coming into the draft with financial teams around them. It's become a space that's ever more popular in terms of wealth management firms trying to get in front of young athletes and prospects. I would encourage any professional athlete to have a financial advisor on their team when I think about a financial advisor, especially for an athlete, it's as much a, a partnership as it is an investment coach or a financial coach. It's truly helping to walk them through anything that has a dollar sign that's off the field. You're 18 years old. Obviously, we talked about this, how you signed for millions of dollars. What was that like for you personally, just going through that experience and being a high first round pick and kind of the start of the next phase of your baseball career playing out that way? For me, the way I describe it is it changed everything, but it also changed nothing. I had a few thousand dollars in my bank account before I signed from working and mowing lawns, things of that nature, to having millions of dollars in my bank account. There was definitely an element that having that amount of money changes a lot of things in your life. I don't want to downplay it, but for me, Signing that professional contract wasn't so much about the money as it was. This was my dream to play professional baseball. The day after I signed that contract, I personally didn't feel any differently. I was excited that I was now a professional athlete. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I was excited to get to work. So on one hand, it changed everything. But on the other hand, I was still the same person I was the day before I signed. 
you obviously were with Scott Boris and the Boris group there. So, I mean, you were well represented, but I guess nowadays with the draft being so publicized, we hear a lot about the signing bonus dollars, how guys won't sign for below this amount of money, things like that. What was those dynamics like for you pre-draft when you guys are kind of figuring everything out as a team? So to set the stage, if you think about how the draft worked in 2009 when I got drafted and how the draft works today, the biggest difference is, as you mentioned, the slotting system. When I signed, there was no slotting system. It was the wild, wild west. You could sign a guy for whatever you thought they were worth. There was much more strategy, in my opinion, that was then in play to make sure that you were going to get drafted by a team that could pay you the dollar amount that you wanted in order to sign. So for the Major League Baseball draft, as we both know, as a high school player, you have a lot of leverage. I had a commitment to the University of North Carolina, which was a great school. They were coming off a few really great years for their baseball program. I was really excited to go there. I had every intention of going to school. Because of that, it helped to create a lot of leverage. For me, the, there was never a specific number that I said, I need to get this number in order to go to school. It was more... I needed it to be what I would call life-changing money. The way that my family and I determined what life-changing money was is if I never made another dollar from baseball, could this really vault me to whatever I wanted to do next? Bypassing school is a massive opportunity that you're missing out on. Not only from a personal standpoint, I've never experienced the normal college setting, but also most guys don't go back and get their college degree. I went back and got my college degree, but it was a a huge challenge. You're going back as a professional athlete to get a college degree. It's not something that I wanted to do at the time. But when I made that initial decision to bypass college, all those things came into account when I was thinking about it. What system do you like better? The system you went through or the slotting system now? By far the system I went through. Yeah. I think player, I am a strong believer in a capitalist society. Yeah. I think players should get paid what they're worth. Exactly. I don't think that Major League Baseball should dictate the terms of what a player should get paid. And I'll give you an example. The year I got drafted, Steven Strasburg was the first overall draft pick. Steven Strasburg signed a contract for 10 plus million dollars. I don't remember the exact terms of it. It was a lot of money for a first round draft pick, especially a baseball player. Steven Strasburg was a generational talent, is a generational talent, has had a great Major League Baseball career. I would not compare Steven Strasburg's talent level to the talent level of, quote, the average first overall pick. I would say that he was an elite first overall pick. Every single year, the first overall pick, the second overall pick, the 60th pick in the draft, whatever it is, the ninth pick like I was, are all going to have varying talent levels. I think those players should get paid based on the talent level that they have and not the number that their pick is assigned to. The other thing that I think plays a big role in this is if you think about draft strategy, a lot of teams are now taking guys potentially a few picks earlier. If, if you have the fifth pick in the draft, you might take a guy that was projected to go 10th and pay him a little bit less in order to sign the guy in the second round. That's a high school guy that has more leverage. The other thing that I enjoyed seeing when I was going through the process in the years leading up to my draft was there was quite a few high school players in particular, but even college juniors that had significant leverage that signed after the 10th round and they were still getting millions of dollars. Yeah. Because now I see guys after the 10th round, usually going to school. I mean, if you're a high school guy getting drafted after 10th round, there's usually very little money there for you. Not to put you on the spot here, but I guess you mentioned life-changing money. 
and you missed out on college. Are you happy with the way everything played out or do you wish you went to school? Take me through that kind of now looking back on the whole process. I don't regret any of the decisions that I made. All the decisions I made, even as an 18 year old were educated, calculated decisions. I would call them calculated bets on myself. Do I wish my major league career would have been a smoother ride and I would have had more success? Certainly. But I also look at where it's led me today. A lot of those experiences that I had allow me to pour into the folks that I help today that I, I wouldn't have had those same experiences. I wouldn't be able to give them that same knowledge. The example that I would give is when I got to the big leagues at 20 years old, I thought that I was going to win 20 games for the next 10 years. It didn't work out like that. I had a ton of ups and downs. I was between AAA and the big leagues for the better part of the next eight years. Being able to pour those experiences into other players, whether you're Mike Trout or you're Jacob Turner, you are going to have struggles at the professional level. Mike Trout's struggles do not look like Jacob Turner's struggles. But at the same time, Mike Trout is going to be going through slumps in the process. When I go through a slump, I'm getting sent to AAA. When Mike Trout goes through a slump, he just talked about a little bit more on SportsCenter. The point here is professional baseball is a hard journey and making sure that you have people around you that have had similar experiences that can share what it feels like in those good times and those bad times. That's why I think your perspective is interesting too. coming out of high school and signing, being a top 10 pick, and then now being a financial advisor, because there's data out there that shows higher percentage of guys who go to college get drafted out of college end up making the major leagues so when you're dealing with a high school senior and his family or just in general I guess if a guy is kind of on the fence of do I go to college do I sign out of high school what advice would you give them I'm a numbers guy go to college I would tell anybody unless that you you felt like you were getting life-changing money that number is different for every family. It depends on the family. It depends on a lot of other factors that come into play. I would encourage every player, every high school player to go to college. To your point, Dan, the numbers are very clear. If you go to college, you have a better chance of playing one day in the big leagues. But not only that, you have a better chance of having a sustained career in the big leagues. What most people don't see is, let's take the 2020 draft. If somebody went and looked up the 2020 draft, this was just three years ago. I can all but bet there are high school players that signed for a million dollars plus that are no longer playing. So this is three years after these guys were the guys, for lack of a better term. They had signed a seven-figure deal. They're signing. They feel great about it. And now they're potentially out of baseball or they're an independent ball or they've never moved up. And it doesn't look like they're on the track now to ever play in the big leagues versus those same guys that are now in college are looking at coming into the 2023 draft as the first, second, third round picks in the draft and are going to be for all intents and purposes, given the opportunity to be put on the fast track to the big leagues. So although they had to have more patience before they had the professional opportunity, there's a lot of things that you can learn in college baseball that you do not learn in the minor leagues. I want to touch on that, but one example to, being patient is Dylan Cruz, the outfielder from LSU. He's a guy who was probably like maybe a fringe first round pick three years ago in 2020, decided he wanted to go to college, play it out, develop that way and bet on himself. And now he's 
should be the first overall pick in this year's draft and is going to sign for way a lot more money and like you said be fast-tracked to the major leagues before we get into talking more about the financial aspect of it i do want to ask you about a comment you just made what was that transition like for you being an 18 year old high school graduate jumping into professional baseball surrounded by either guys your age or even sometimes older it's a huge adjustment it's one of the things that most people don't consider when they're making that decision when families are thinking about high school versus college versus professional they're generally looking at the opportunity that the team is going to provide and they're looking at the dollar amount that the team is going to offer the player they're often not thinking about how mature is the player can he make this transition? You are going from a situation for me, I was going from a situation that I had 120 kids in my graduating class to being with grown men that were doing this for years before I got there with a relative target on your back. If you're a first round pick, the day you walk in the door, everybody knows who you are. You are expected to be the guy and you're treated like that for better or worse. You are. That puts a target on your back. It doesn't mean that guys don't like you or anything like that, but there's more eyeballs on you than there are anybody else when you walk in the door. So you have to, you have to be able to understand that and be emotionally mature enough to understand that you're walking into a world that baseball has now become a business. It's still extremely enjoyable. It's still the same game, but it's a business. A couple months ago, maybe at the end of 2022 you had a twitter thread just talking about some advice you'd give draft prospects and what they should look through during the process of selecting kind of their team and it all centered around making sure you build your team out and what you should look for i guess what advice would you give one of those draft prospects when it comes to selecting their team and how they should go about selecting the individuals they work with the first thing i would say is take your time it can be overwhelming. There are so many people that are reaching out to you that want to be part of what you're doing because what you're doing is really special. Not many people get to do it. And that breeds a lot of people coming out. So take your time, ask a lot of questions, make sure that the people that are on your team are truly on your team for the right reasons. When you're a professional athlete, you have a lot of people that want to be on your team in order to gain fame and notoriety for themselves. You want to make sure that those people on your are on your team to help push you forward. Ultimately, you're hiring them. The other thing that I would add is making sure that you don't get wooed by shiny object syndrome. As an 18 or 21-year-old kid, the things that are important to you as an 18 to 21-year-old kid are not going to be the things that matter when you're 30 and you're considering potentially moving on from baseball. At that point, when you're 30 and you're moving on from baseball, you're not going to be go, able to go back in time and realize that the shiny object decision that I made as an 18-year-old probably wasn't the best one. So I would just encourage families to ask questions, take their time, not be wooed by the shiny object, and find people that are truly in it for you as the player to help push you forward. How much of it is it to finding someone who's in it kind of for the long haul and hopefully your entire career and not just someone you use to sign your first professional contract and then don't envision kind of being with long-term, if that makes sense. Yeah. The framing that I describe it as Dan is you really want somebody that is a partner with you in this journey. And it's a journey. That's the only way to describe it. You are going to have ups and downs. There's going to be really great years. There's going to be years that are not so great. 
there's going to be games that you feel on top of the world. And there's going to be games that you feel like quitting baseball and never coming back to the field. You want to make sure that you have partners that are going to be with you through the ups and downs. There are not many players. If we compare Jacob Turner to Mike Trout, we got drafted the same year. People tell me all the time, oh, you got drafted before Mike Trout. Mike Trout is a generational player. What Mike Trout has done does not generally happen. What generally happens is guys work really hard to get an opportunity to the big leagues and maybe they go up and down. Maybe they stick for a couple of years. Maybe you get two to three years of service time. It is a hard journey and it's truly a journey. So you want to make sure that the people you have on your team, as you mentioned, Dan, are, are going to be there for the long run and not just going to be there when things are going good. Yeah. Cause like you mentioned it, it is a journey because I look back on the guys, even just I've interviewed these first round picks who were can't miss with their bat or can't miss with some of these tools. And they're not even in baseball anymore. They never even made it to the major league. So how things can change quickly and a lot of ups and downs. You talk about questions, asking the right questions. What are some of those questions people should be asking and potential agent, but even specifically someone who's going to be managing and advising you on money? The first question that I would ask is, what is your specialty? I think this applies for advisors and for agents. One of the reasons why I picked the Boris Corporation when I did was because they had a specialty of working with baseball players. It's not to say that other agencies that work with football and basketball and baseball are bad by any stretch. But for me, that was important. I wanted somebody that only worked with baseball. I think on the financial advising side, it's much the same. Most financial advisors don't have a niche. They work with anybody that has a certain amount of money. The problem there in lies as a baseball player, as a professional athlete, there are a lot of unique things that you have the opportunity to do and take advantage of taxes, or investing in a way that an average individual would not. If that financial advisor does not have the specific expertise and the niche expertise in order to help you, there's no going back. There's no do-overs in this process. When you sign that contract and you get millions of dollars, that might be the only money that you ever make in baseball. You wanna make sure that the people on your team have the forward-looking expertise to understand what you should be doing in that moment to maximize it. So I think that's the first question is, what does that look like? There's certainly other questions that that would come into play from a financial advisor standpoint. And I think this is from an agent standpoint too, but more so from a financial advisor standpoint is, are you a fiduciary? A fiduciary is a term that's thrown around a lot in the financial services industry, but simply it means that my obligation is to serve the client's best interest, not serve Jacob's best interest. The majority, three out of four plus percent of advisors do not act in a fiduciary manner. That means that if they sell you a product, it might not be in your best interest. It might be okay for you, but it's really better for them and what they're going to make. That is a something that is very hard to distinguish when you're going through the process. So making sure that there's alignment there and making sure there's expertise there, I think would be the two biggest things that I would say. Yeah, I was going to ask you like how, because anyone can sell someone something so how do you kind of figure out who to believe in who to trust and who's really in it to help you and not themselves if i was a parent going through the process with my son what i would do is i would talk to three to four people in the agency space three to four people in the financial advisor space and i would just tell them this i'm going to take my time making this decision i want you to educate me on everything that 
I should be thinking about as I go through this process. And then after you educate me on everything I'm thinking about, I'd like you to educate me on what it would look like if my son were to choose you. The goal of that process is that then at the end of it, that family can make an educated decision. What is happening in society today, if you look at the draft, is most players don't have the knowledge to ask the questions. And it's not their fault. It's not something, this is a something that they'd never done before. When I went through the process, my parents never had financial advisors. So when I was asking questions, I didn't know what questions to ask. They didn't know what questions to ask. Everybody sounded relatively the same. And I think if you can focus on getting educated and having the people that you're talking to about potentially interviewing them to be on the team, help them educate you, you can in turn ask better questions and be more intuitive as you're going through that process. Would you recommend selecting an agent advisor first and then finding a financial advisor or would you do them both at the same time? How would you handle that situation? I'll give you the best worst answer I have. It depends. <laughs> yeah. It depends on a lot of factors. We've had families that we work with that came to us before they ever had an agent slash advisor for their on the field. We've had players that we work with that have come to us after they've chosen agents, advisors on the field, and they're looking to have a financial advisor. The most important thing is that the entire team is working for the player's benefit. It is, it's kind of weird as a player. I remember for me as an 18 year old, when I chose the Boris corporation, I knew who Scott Boris was from the time I was 16. Let's say yeah. he's a, a major name. When I first met with him, I would say, for lack of a better term, somewhat awestruck. This is Scott Boris. I've heard this guy's name before, and I'm meeting with him as at the time I was 17 years old. It's important for the player to remember that you are in control of your career and that the people that are on your team, you hired to work for you. You're not working for them. That's an important distinguishing factor that players need to have a reframe route. Families need to have a reframe route. You're, you're paying them often a significant amount of money for them to be on the team, but they work for you and it's your career. And I, the one thing I would add to that, Dan, is Scott in the Boris Corporation did a good job of reframing that for me in my head, that it was my career. They were going to do what I asked them to do and that they worked for me. And that was one of the reasons why I felt like for me, they were a good fit at the time. They helped to educate me around the fact that my team is meant to support me in the process even though Scott had been doing it at the time for 20 plus years, 30 plus years. No, I think that's great advice. And I think stuff that sometimes gets lost throughout the entire process. What is it like for you now being a financial advisor? You played the game, you've gone through it all. What's it like now kind of seeing the players you work with go through that process? It's been really enjoyable personally for me to be a small piece in their journey they're the ones doing the hard work. They're the ones earning the money. I'm doing a very ancillary thing for them. But at the same time, it is very rewarding to help educate them in the process. It is really hard to make a lot of money in professional sports. It's hard to make any money in professional sports. The thing that bothers me the most about my industry and professional sports is, for the most part, advisors that serve families that are professional athletes are doing it in a self-serving way. And that's just the truth. And I, I wish it would change. I wish it wasn't like that. It's been really fun for me 
to be a small piece in that journey and help support them on their journey. They're doing the hard thing and we're just simply there to help them make good educated financial decisions. Awesome. Last question for you, Jacob. Obviously you're a guy players can work with. What what else do you want them to know or why should they work with you or what's maybe something we haven't touched on that you think would be valuable information for any player to know? For me, the way I think about the draft, my career, where I'm at today is I was drafted in the top 1% percentile of baseball players. I had the ability as a top 10 draft pick to be the guy that went on to sign the $200 million deal. My career didn't end like that. What I would tell families and prospects that are listening to this is no matter where you get drafted along that process, the end goal, what is the perfect result for a baseball player from a financial perspective when they get done playing? It's really two things. One, they should be educated around their money. They don't have to be the expert, but they should be educated around it. And two, what percentile of players are they in when they retire? And what I mean by that, Dan, is whether you make $100,000, you make $100 million. There's a certain percentile then that you can be in because the decisions you make with your money are fully in your control. What happened to me in my career, some of it was in my control, some of it was outside of my control. But the decisions I made with my money put me in a top percentile when I got done playing to be able to do whatever I wanted to do next financially. And that's my goal for all the players we work with. I know that there's going to be a lot of things in their baseball career that are going to be outside of their control. The one thing that we can control is getting them educated and helping them make really good financial decisions. So when they get done playing with their career, whether they make a hundred thousand, a million, 10 million, or a hundred million, they're leaving in a top percentile. They've made all the right decisions. And that's, that's what I would encourage players to think about as they're going through this process. Awesome. Former MLB pitcher and co-founder of JL Strategic Wealth, Jacob Turner. Great conversation, Jacob. Really enjoyed it. And thanks for the time. Thanks, Dan. That was a fun conversation with Jacob. I think he brings, as I've already mentioned, a unique perspective to this topic and this situation. And I think he really showed it and talked about it and discussed it well throughout our conversation. I think his career has helped shape him into a quality financial advisor. I think he gave great advice on assembling a team and assembling a team that is focused on working for you and not the other way around and making sure it remains that way throughout the relationship. As players, these guys are paying these financial advisors, they're paying their agents a portion of their earnings. So making sure that the financial advisor is working for them and looking at the player's best interests is important. And I think just overall the advice he gave throughout the conversation was really valuable. I thought there was a lot of great points throughout there. A lot of things that I think the casual baseball fan wouldn't think about when it comes to contracts, signing bonuses, and the draft process in general. So I think it was a great conversation. His experience is awesome. Great conversation. Enjoy talking to Jacob and I'm sure I'll talk to him down the line on a future podcast too. You can find all of my work at baseballprospectjournal.com. You can find previous episodes, my draft content, and all of the content Baseball Prospect Journal is turning out on a daily basis at baseballprospectjournal.com. You can find me on Twitter at danzelinski 3 You can also find me on Twitter at the BP Journal. I'm Dan Zielinski. 
national writer and founder at BaseballProspectJournal.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>